Hi, David. Since we last spoke at the beginning of April, global equities have posted new highs and U.S. Treasury yields have fallen. Are we back in a Goldilocks environment for markets? Hi, Alex. Yeah, I mean, over the last couple of weeks, it has been what some describe as a Goldilocks rally with stocks, bonds, commodities, all moving higher along with EM assets. Um, that said, the, the sort of reopening theme has stalled a bit. Um, we've seen some relative underperformance of small cap stocks, uh, some of the cyclical sectors, the COVID impact sectors uh, like airlines. And, and this is because of you know, the ongoing spread of COVID globally, particularly in some of the large emerging uh, market uh, uh, countries. Um, I mean, Treasury yields have been interesting because, you know, they've, they've, they've fallen despite some really blockbuster U.S. economic data. Um, the yield on the 10-year uh, Treasury uh, peaked at the beginning of April a bit over 1.7%. It's now around about 1.55%. And, and the driver of the move lower in Treasury yields is the bond market you know, buying into the Fed's mantra that the pickup in inflation will be transitory and that rate hikes are a long way off. So short end futures markets have you know, pushed back the first Fed rate hike uh, into early 2023, um, now only imply sort of two rather than three rate hikes by the end of um, 2023. Um, still more aggressive than the Fed guidance, of course, which is no rate hikes until 2024. But nonetheless, I think the market is taking heed of the um, Fed. And, and that shift lower in US rate expectations and Treasury yields has translated into a stronger performance of long duration as assets, notably uh, technology stocks, renewed US dollar weakness, higher commodity prices, and being supportive of emerging market assets. So it's been a pretty strong start to the second quarter. And you know, contrary to, to my predictions in our last uh, podcast, you know, Treasury yields and volatility have moved lower. The um, fixed index has dropped below 20 for the first time in more than a year. But I still think that the pace of the US recovery is such that we're going to get some positive uh, data surprises, um, more than a million jobs gained last month alone. You know, inflation is picking up. Um, and as such, I think the Treasury yields will resume their upward trend in the summer and, and that there will be some further volatility, particularly in equity markets that are looking a little bit um, you know, stretched in terms of um, positioning and sentiment. And how would you characterise the state of credit markets? Yes, I think, you know, I'd characterise the state of credit markets as, as actually pretty healthy, um, still strong investor demand. Uh, there is a lot of supply, you know, liquidity is reasonable. Um, despite negative total returns on investment grade rated corporate credit because of rising yields on government bonds, um, investor demand for higher rated credit has remained solid as investors continue to look for income. Uh, high yield has outperformed investment grade in part because rising core rates are less of a headwind from a total return perspective, but also because credit spreads on higher yielding, you know, more risky credit have tightened as the economic recovery has gathered pace. So this is you know, the compression theme that you and I, Alex, have, have discussed before. Um, and, and across emerging market credit, more or less seen a similar pattern, although emerging market high yield has lagged um, developed market high yield. Um, but if we look at defaults, uh, it looks like they peaked late last year. They're tailing off actually pretty rapidly. 
The trailing 12-month default rate is set to fall below 3% by the end of this year. Um, Credit rating agencies are also turning more positive in terms of the balance of upgrades versus downgrades. Uh, Corporate leverage, which is high, but is starting to decline as um, earnings recover. Um, you know, that said, uh, I, was, I was talking to Blue Bay senior U.S. bank analyst in Stanford uh, about the recent uh, U.S. bank earnings report. And, you know, one of the points he made was, you know, just how sh- significant has been the volume of M&A activity for, for banks and that they have a strong pipeline of deals. Now, so far, most M&A has been equity rather than debt finance. But I think it is something for credit investors to watch the sort of. Uh, sort of balance sheet repair phase of uh, the cycle could be shorter than, than than we've seen previously. Thanks, David. But with valuations quite high by historic standards, how much more value is there left in credit? Yeah, I, I mean, the short answer is I do still think there is uh, value in credit, but I also think that future returns will be increasingly dominated by by carry from the from the coupons and income from holding credit rather than from meaningful um, you know price appreciation. Uh, credit spreads are, are below pre-pandemic levels, um, you know, near historic tights, notably for US credit. Um, that said, I, I still think there is some room for some further spread compression between higher and lower rated credit, between senior and subordinated debt. Um, I still think there's some room for uh, spreads on uh, bank subordinated debt or uh, COCOs um, to, to, to tighten further. Um, and, and despite some of the weaker credit fundamentals, I think within Europe, there's still some room for sort of COVID impacted and cyclical sectors to, 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 to rally. And as I alluded to earlier, emerging market corporate credit valuations are you know, relatively more attractive, although, you know, the rise in COVID cases in a number of countries is is clearly a disturbing um, backdrop. Um, But I think investors, you know, are becoming more focused on carry and on limiting interest rate risk, hence, you know, the popularity of exposure to leverage loans directly or through collateralized loan obligations such as CLOs and other short duration um, uh, credit. So, you know, investors can still generate coupon plus returns, but I think they're going to have to cast their net wider, exploit relative value and dispersion across markets. You mentioned emerging market credit as lagging developed market credit in the first months of this year. Is there contagion risk from the distress of the Chinese company Hurong that's currently in the headlines? Yeah, so China Hurong Asset Management is... Uh, China's biggest manager of distressed debt has 1.7 trillion RMB in assets. So that's equivalent to about $260 billion. It's it's actually majority owned by the Ministry of uh, Finance. And it's been taking on distressed debt of Chinese banks, which is really a sort of legacy of um, the aftermath of the um, sort of Asian financial crisis and, and also the you know attempts to clean up Chinese banks more more, more generally and it's been you know funded by borrowing and so you know Harong has more than 22 billion of US dollar bonds outstanding now its its former chairman was executed in January for corruption um, and Harong recent failure to disclose its 2020 financials sparked concerns in the market of you know, uh, an imminent default. Um, bond prices fell some 40 points. Um, they've been very volatile since as the market tries to work out 
whether we will get bailed out or, or, or not. Um, currently trading sort of in the sort of 80s uh, sense on the dollar. Um, it, it certainly did have a meaningful impact on risk sentiment across Asian markets generally. Um, we did see some widening of spreads on Asia investment grade and on China credit. Um, but we don't think it's a systemic event. Um, but that said, nor is it kind of purely idiosyncratic. I think how Harong plays out is a test of Beijing's implicit support for state-owned uh, enterprises. Now, Beijing wants greater market and financial discipline to contain leverage across the economy to reduce the amount of sort of moral, moral hazard, if you like. Uh, but it also wants to maintain financial stability. Uh, now, Harong is actually rated investment grade by international rating agencies, really on the assumption of state support. Like other larger and strategically important state-owned uh, enterprises, the, the, the ratings based on that support rather than on their standalone fundamentals that are typically sub-investment grade. So if we do see losses imposed on Harong's creditors, I think it will prompt uh, investors as well as rating agencies to rethink how they factor in uh, state support for, for, for Chinese borrowers. The ECB's latest monetary policy meeting has just concluded. What are your key takeaways? It was a um, very uneventful meeting, um, as, as expected. Uh, you know, they confirmed their existing policy stance. Um, maybe the most notable comment was ECB President Lagarde saying there was no discussion of the phasing out of the pandemic emergency purchase programme. Um, I, I do think the meeting on the 10th of June uh, when the ECB will have a new set of macroeconomic forecasts uh, will be of more interest. Uh, I think the ECB will be under pressure from the market to provide greater clarity as to whether it will taper its asset purchases in the third quarter. And if so, does that mark the beginning of the end of the you know, pandemic emergency purchase programme? I, I mean, I'm just generally I'm more struck by the contrast between the ECB and the Fed. Um, you know, the Fed has used the COVID crisis to reset its policy framework to, you know, it has a decisive effort to get inflation above its 2% target and to maximise employment. Um, the ECB has framed its policy response very much as temporary, very much in response to the specific COVID crisis. And one gets the sense that many on the governing council of the ECB are pretty keen to scale back that monetary accommodation as soon as it um, can. So, I, I mean, I think the ECB could face a tricky second half of the year if it does scale down its bond purchases, which, which would actually be before the Fed starts its own um, taper. But for now, the bears on the ECB governing council are keeping quiet. The Fed meets next week. Are you expecting any fireworks? Very confident one thing, which is that the US Federal Reserve will not follow the Bank of Canada that actually just recently announced that it would start tapering its uh, QE programme and could raise policy rates sooner than it had previously um, signalled. I, I, I don't think the Fed's going to do that. I think the Fed at the moment is still watching in terms of the pace of the economic recovery. I, th I think there's still... Um, you know, lots of sort of job gains that it wants to uh, see over the uh, coming months. And I think the Fed is pretty happy with where the market is right now. And so will not want to uh, rock the boat. Um, you know, like the ECB, I think it's going to be the June meeting, which will be a key one for uh, markets. 
um, by June, the Fed, as, as well as investors, will have a you know, better handle on the strength of the US jobs recovery. And you know, at least some indication as to whether they pick up in inflation is transitory or whether there's some you know, underlying pressures that are starting to build. Any other recent developments you think are worth highlighting to our listeners? I mean, the German political scene is uh, getting pretty um, interesting. And I I think it will be something that investors will focus more on as federal elections in September approach. And of course, that will mark the end of the Angela Merkel era. Um, After much infighting, the ruling centre-right CDU-CSU coalition selected Armin Laschet, who's closely aligned with Merkel and her sort of centrist approach as its candidate for chancellor in the forthcoming elections. Um, But they're not doing well in the polls. Uh, In fact, the Greens are ahead. They've got 28% support, according to a recent poll, compared to 21% for the CDU-CSU and 13% for the centre-left SPD. Now, you know, it's, it's, it's... far too early to give too much weight to polls, but you know, a green-red government in Germany would potentially imply a much more fiscally flexible, more European integrationist stance from Germany. And, and I think that would have important policy implications for the EU and Eurozone over the medium term. And then maybe just to close, uh, just on the note that the German Constitutional Court has ruled that ratification of the EU 800 billion uh, euro recovery fund can proceed through the German Parliament despite a legal effort to, to block it. And this was something you know, we discussed, Alex, in a previous uh, podcast. So I, I don't think this is unexpected, but nonetheless, it's a positive development. And you know, I think for Europe, the, the sooner the EU recovery fund you know, becomes operational, starts to distribute uh, funds, the better. Thanks for your time today, David, and look forward to speaking to you again soon. Thanks, Alex. This podcast is issued by Blue Bay or one of its entities. Please check the entire Blue Bay disclaimer at the following website, www.bluebay.com forward slash podcast disclaimer. This podcast is provided for informational purposes only. It is not intended, nor should it be intended as investment, tax or legal advice. This podcast does not constitute an offer to sell, nor is it a solicitation of an offer to purchase any security or investment product in any jurisdiction. This podcast is not available for distribution in any jurisdiction where such distribution would be prohibited and is not aimed at such persons in those jurisdictions. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Blue Bay makes no express or implied warranties or representations with respect to the information contained in this podcast and hereby expressly disclaim all warranties of accuracy, completeness or fitness for a particular purpose. Blue Bay is under no obligation to update the information in the podcast to reflect changes after the publication date. The information contained in this podcast is believed to be reliable, but Blue Bay cannot and does not guarantee its accuracy, timeliness or completeness. The document is intended only for professional clients and eligible counterparties as defined by the Markets and Financial Instruments Directive or in the US by accredited investors as defined by the Securities Act of 1933 or qualified purchasers as defined in the Investment Company Act of 1940 as applicable and should not be relied upon by any other category of consumer. No part of this document may be reproduced, redistributed or passed on directly or indirectly to any other person, published in whole or in part for any purpose in any manner without the prior written permission of Blue Bay or one of its entities. Copyright 2021.